to open up the show, if you guys could summarize this whole segment in one word, what, what do you think it would be? I think it's vehicular manslaughter, <laughs> although that's two words. That's two words. One term. Yeah, one term. Yeah. I think criminal admission <laughs> yeah. comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. So, Ill- illuminating. And now for Dinner with Racers, presented by Continental Tire. With your hosts, Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder Radio All right, welcome. Next installment of Dinner with Racers. I am Sean Heckman. I am Ryan Eversley. And uh, if you don't know who we are, don't worry about it. Not a big deal. So, uh, we are coming to you somewhere between Florida and Atlanta as we head back to Ryan's home in Atlanta. Uh, So, it's uh, October 31st, 2015, and we are just wrapping up a cross country trip in uh, Ryan's one and only what vehicle? Acura MDX. And what are the tires on this? Continental. Huh, Continental Tires. Yes, sir. So we're just finishing up here. We met up with a handful of people in racing that we thought were interesting, and we invited them all to dinner. So uh, we didn't have an agenda. There wasn't a structure. Half of them we didn't know, and it seemed like a good idea at the time. So 8,000 miles later, 30 days, how many states? 20 states. And 27 meals with people, all so that you could turn around and tell us what we did wrong. And just criticize us. Yeah. So... Anyway, uh, next on our list is actually a lunch with racers. It's uh, our good friend Spencer Pompelli and his father, Tom. The big sexy. So Spencer and Tom are a really cool dynamic. Uh, uh, we've known them both for, for years. Uh, Tom. Big Tom P. Was a, a badass and sort of the most interesting man in the world before such a thing even existed. So Tom was a big deal in the 70s and 80s. He, he started racing in Atlantics, ran against names like Zeal Villeneuve, went on to race sports cars in the 80s, and any big sports car driver you can name from that era, chances are Tom ran against them. Uh, and during that time, he then started a business called uh, NTW, which is now NTB, one of the largest tire retail stores in the country. So he knows a lot about business, he knows the sport, loves the sport, and of course, birthed the great Spencer Pompelli. The one and only. So Spencer, currently a, a big driver in, uh, in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, uh, two-time winner of Daytona, didn't win a third time in 2014. And so we just cover everything with these two. We cover everything from sort of that father-son dynamic that you can see in racing. Their uh, story between the two of them is very different between most fathers and sons that you see racing. Uh, what else happened, Ryan? You know, we uh, found out why Spencer's not allowed to borrow the family car. Uh, did you know Spencer Pompelli may have killed a guy? And then we also ate at uh, the Raging Burrito in Decatur. I had a blackened tilapia burrito. It was and amazing. And I had a chicken sandwich. Oh. Thanks once again to Continental Tire for making this happen. Let's hear it. Meow. All right, we're going to start in five, four, three, two. So, Spence, I'm flying down here the other day, and I'm... Before the flight, I go to 7-Eleven and get this great big Italian sub. <laughs> and so halfway through the flight, I get hungry and throw the thing in my mouth, and I'm chewing on it, and I'm thinking to myself, man, this is the weirdest. Anyway, I, I forgot to take the mic thing off and the little uh, foam thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I chewed it right off. A little, little mic condom? Yeah, yeah. I, I probably almost swallowed it. <laughs> 
What about when we're eating, making crunching noises? Nah, it's all good. I can yeah. theoretically just don't do it while you're talking, and I'm okay. Good, you but know. some of that's good, you know. Yeah, a little bit, just to add a little. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. why did you choose this place, by the way? Um, this is a, it's a good lunch spot. It is a vegan identifier restaurant, right? So I like to support uh, people that kind of support our little upstart project. Sure. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I figured that we could come in here on this side. It would be quiet. Just figured it worked. So. Uh, How hungover are you right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did I'm you celebrate all last night? We did, actually. Took the Park Place guys out. We uh, went to Freedy, sat upstairs. We all had big pizzas and then uh, took them to Joystick. Because Sunday in Atlanta oh, is just yeah. not the best night, you know? Yeah. Claremont's closed. There's no meddlesome. There's all the things that we like to do aren't happening. So we ended up going to Joystick and uh, feeding the machine. I got 8,300 or 1,000 on Donkey Kong, which is a little below the record. But you're playing Donkey Kong on the computer with the keys and then getting a real old Joystick that's right. sloppy and the buttons are sticky. You know, it's... Yeah, they just made it too easy nowadays. It's like racing, you know, with traction control and everything. It's driver rankings. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know? We did. Uh, Sean, you probably don't know about Joystick, but we did a Spencer's birthday at Joystick Bar this year, and it's basically like a really cool, not very big bar that has all old quarter actuated video games, arcade games. Oh, so it's a real. So deal. it's like an arcade. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. And a full bar, really good kitchen, and uh, they had like a full, you know, full spread and everything, and. It was, I mean, it was so much fun. Jim Norman flew up for it, you know, so it was kind of funny. Like, Anywhere look, Jim Norman goes is going right, to be a It's going to be a party. Yeah, absolutely. It was just funny, like, looking across the room, and you see, like, Spencer's got his son Ryder there, <laughs> and Ryder's, like, playing pinball. <laughs> and then you look next to him, and, like, Dr. Jim's, like, punching the pinball machine next to him, like, trying to get, you know, extra score out of it. And, like, Ryder's going to look at this one day and be like, Dad, you had a keyboard. How lame. <laughs> <laughs> you used to look at a screen. <laughs> <laughs> And then he goes to school on a jetpack. Yep. Um, how long are you guys here, by the way? Because aren't you guys taking off? Yeah, we're leaving uh, tomorrow. We're going to fly uh, November 6240 X-ray up uh, <laughs> to uh, Manassas and, and do the birthday party on Saturday, right? Mm-hmm. Got right. It. Tom, big 7 L. Tom P. will be 7-0, yeah. Jeez. Oh, no. Scares me. <laughs> <laughs> now are you, and you're still flying? Yeah, the FAA still gives me a uh, second-class medical. It's a miracle, but they still pass me. Nice. Okay. And uh, you're physically doing the flight out to, to Virginia? Yeah, Spencer and I flight. We, okay. We're, uh, I don't know how to fly an airplane, so. Yeah, he's, he's good with helicopters. To fly a helicopter, but <laughs> not he just airplane. gets in the way with the airplanes. So, Tom, what do you, you've got? Because right now you, you fly airplanes. Do you still race at all? No. no. Okay, so that's all done. <laughs> yeah. Helicopters? It's old helicopter, but um, I love that thing. Had 1,200 hours in it. It was a fabulous toy. Just a little too expensive for not using it much. Right. Sure. Did, didn't you use it to film for a movie or a couple movies? Yeah, we filmed uh, the National Treasure, the first That's one. That's right. Yeah. We did the uh, scenes over Washington, D.C. In fact, all the aerial scenes were shot in that helicopter. And um, then we did the Space Shuttle Discoveries landing at uh, Dulles Airport. That had to be awesome. Uh, Spencer and I did that together. And that was one of the really windy days. <laughs> Where uh, to get the shots we needed, you had to be in a crosswind holding that tail with just about everything you had in your leg. And I don't think I could have done it alone. Spencer ended up uh, doing a lot of that flying. Yeah, with the doors off. Right. Doors yeah, well, off. So the wind's coming through the cabin. Sure, and sure. Kind of blowing the thing around yeah. more than it would Intimidation be. Intimidation level goes up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Full of people. Some woman with a camera literally hanging on a wire literally. out the side of the thing. Literally. Hanging out on the seatbelt. Yeah. yeah. She was pretty badass. I forget. <laughs> uh, yeah, she was cute. What her name was. She was cute and she was badass. She didn't care. She just, yep. you know, <clears throat> getting it done. 2,000 feet off the ground, just sitting there hovering. 
And she's hanging out over the skid with her, her video <laughs> camera. Yeah, her famous last words were, if I fall, I fall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Pretty cool. There you go. And then do you That's remember the uh, the flight we did when we went up to get the uh, the shots of the old airmail route? Yeah. That was cool, too. The Smithsonian was doing an exhibit on the old airmail route. So I guess we went from New York to L.A., and they would do it in different legs. Sure. And so guys were telling us that of all the legs, even over the Rockies, the route through the Allegheny Mountains was the most dangerous. They lost 34 pilots in the 10 years that they Holy did it. Crap. But a lot of that, uh, a lot of the pioneers of aviation, a lot of the things that we still use today as far as navigation and weather predictions and things like that were invented during those times. So we got this guy whose dad, you know, some old guy, his dad used to fly that route and he had some maps and we took the Smithsonian photographer up there and tried to find some of the old landmarks that they were using on this old map and got a lot of photos and that was pretty neat. That was cool. Uh, it's a fun day. But remember on the way back, we, we couldn't find any landmarks. The guide that we had just couldn't find them. So we flew for a few hours and we headed east and finally we got to where the Susquehanna River joins up with the other rivers. And uh, we decided it, we were done. It was cold, freezing, doors were off again. And we decided we'd just put in the GPS, Bellefonte, Pennsylvania, and back we went. And we went over every one of them. It was an absolute straight shot. However, they got that route perfectly straight. They did it. Right. And we uh, ended up seeing several of the locations that we were looking for. That's so which came first, aviation or racing? Uh, gee, that's a good question. I guess I started flying first. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think my first flight was when I was about 16, 17 years old, and then I flew a little bit in college and then started racing. Wow. Okay. Because <coughs> you didn't start racing until, what, the early 70s, late 60s? Well, my first race was 19... 19- 69. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was the year born, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> not far off. <laughs> what was the uh, first big race you did, like first pro race? First pro race was a Formula Atlantic race at Road Atlanta. Oh, wow. Yeah. Back before the when they had the dip and everything. Well, well I t- take that back. I guess they were calling Formula Ford pro at one time. IMSA picked up mm-hmm. the Formula Ford series, and they actually ran them at Daytona, uh, the same course, without the chicane without the bus stop and those things got up to about uh formula ford going about 145 miles per hour Mm -hmm. around those banking and uh it was uh exhilarating i'm sure the draft was a big deal and the lack of safety was a big deal yeah yeah, the lack (laughs) of safety was thinking uh, about driving a formula ford daytona now is kind of sketchy yeah exactly (laughs) well back then nobody even thought about safety we were all young and just go as fast as you could but uh that was a race where um i think there were 75 formula fords Danny Sullivan's first time he showed up in the U.S. with uh, that Falconer body Formula Four. You remember that yeah. thing? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're lucky. It was the ugliest car ever invented. Right. Ryan, remember when you were born in the 80s? Yeah. 83. Mm. Wow. Yeah. was when uh, Tom was racing Sebring and, Flor- and Ferraris. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ugliest car ever invented. That says a lot with some of the current uh Because the, the 80s was kind of your heyday as far as sports car was concerned, correct? Uh, you mean the series? Yeah, no, I mean, as far as, like, what you like when I go to, uh, the last time I went to Spencer's house, there is a giant poster in Spencer's garage of, like, you, I think it's, like, I think it's an NTW poster yeah. or something like mm-hmm. that, and it's, like, you've got, like, the 80s hair, and you've got the helmet on the side of you, and, and the, yeah. the jumpsuit is, like, halfway zipped down with they the chest They made me look open. that way. And it's, like, glistening. They made, they made me do it. Way. So <laughs> you s- Both of his chest hairs are hanging out. <laughs> exactly. It's the 80s version of the uh, Dos Equis <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean, you, know. you were the 80s version of the most interesting man in the world. But exactly. they, but, but they had to um, airbrush those hairs because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have any at the time. <laughs> they looked amazing. 
But, you know, your racing career was kind of in two parts. There was the kind of pre-Spencer 70s uh, formula car days, and then you took a break, and then back in the late 80s, you got back into it. So, Um, Yeah, that's an interesting story because uh, Spencer went to my last formula car race. Uh, He doesn't remember this. I think he was about one year old at the time, 1970. Six, you were two years old, yep. and uh, Maybe, yeah, Spencer's mother was sitting on the hill uh, at uh, turn, well, going on the straightaway at Road Atlanta. Turn twelve. Turn twelve, yeah. and um, for some reason she had the presence of mind just to turn around and look up the hill, and a Volkswagen Vanagon uh, was up there, came rolling down the hill, and she grabbed Spencer, <laughs> got out of the way. The car, the Vanagon, would have just rolled right over them. She was on the outside of the, of, of the turn. And about the same time, um, I think I'd, yeah, I'd rented Jill Villeneuve's car because he, he didn't do uh, the runoffs. So I had okay. rented his car for the runoffs. And um, Jill only weighed about 95 pounds wet. And I weighed about 170 at the time. So they had routed his brake line underneath the frame member of the tub of the car of the bat for the back brake so i went into turn five as fast as i could go <laughs> with uh, uh who was it i guess it was bob probably bobby ray hall on my back and um i hit the brakes and uh, the back brake line just burst and i went flying down the hill it had rained and it was wet and i hit the guardrail and the car ended up flipping over in the woods, and I woke up with a battery on my lap, and that's the last time I was ever in a Formula car. <laughs> and then I heard the story about he and his mother, and I said, "Man, this is we got to get out of here." There's a message here. Got to get out of here. Yeah, but then the addiction came back a couple of years later. Right. But so did you take? So you took so between the open wheel and the sports car path, there was a couple of years in between. Now that was about uh, six, seven years, right? 80, oh wow. Yeah, Eighty-one. <laughs> I went back with a Ferrari thing at Daytona. So during that time, you focused on business. Yeah, uh, I did. Uh, that's when NTW really got its start and got right. going, and that was full-time. Yeah. And NTW is kind of what, <clears throat> I mean, that's what I associate with uh, you with when it comes to the, the big-level racing, is that NTW, because of the kind of the mutual success that you had fostered with that, that was able to transition you back into the into the big stuff. Yeah, I really never wanted to be in the tire business. I just needed a way to, to uh, support my racing habit. Right, right. So Pretty, well, that seemed like a good way to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just uh, so tell thing. me, because, you know, NTW is now uh, uh, NTB, correct? NTB, yeah. So tell, how did NTW start? Uh, it started uh, in a little warehouse on Port Royal Road in Springfield, Virginia. We didn't even have a tire mounting equipment. We'd send people with tires up to a gas station, and eventually we got our own mounting facility and then started building these uh, sort of custom-built stores, which were real big and beautiful right. stores. And, and, with, I mean, and at the time, as, as far as I remember, and I wasn't really around then, but as far, at the time, I don't remember there, uh, I, from what I understand, there wasn't really tire dealer stores the way they are today. Like you had a good year, you had a Firestone, but there wasn't a discount tire. There wasn't a, yeah, that's a right. right. So you were sort of the first one to do that kind of business. Uh, yeah. And I think Tire America started about the same time as another chain. But right. Basically, uh, tires were sold at gas stations back then. Right. Yeah, just how it happened. And or a Goodyear store, if you wanted to pay a very high price, Goodyear. Back in those days, you'd pretty much pay a retail price for a tire, and now, you know, everybody gets like 30 40% off. Sure, sure, sure. It's changed a lot. That's off. Oh, uh, I'd say uh, we started selling franchises, and we went to the tire convention in St. Louis and built an NTW tire store inside the convention center right. in two days. We could order everything. When was this? Uh, gosh, probably about 1978-ish. Okay. And uh, then we started uh, cookie-cutting that particular store, and uh, I think we Thank ended you. up with, uh, well, 
can't remember how many, but over 100 Yeah. Uh, by the time I sold it to Sears, component of Sears called uh, Western Auto. How long was that period? Uh, that was 17 years, I think, uh, 18 years. Started in 71, sold it in 80, 88 or 89. And the way, I mean, Spencer and I probably talked about this. This was like five years ago when we talked about sort of the growth of NTW because I, you and I have never really talked about it. Um, but Spencer sort of described it as you literally would spend your year visiting every franchise and walking the grounds and not even telling them who you were, just sort of showing up. and. Oh, they all knew who I was, but I, I tried to see every <laughs> store once a quarter. Wow. And I, I really think in business it still remains that if you put your eyes on it, uh, you'll see things you won't see from reports and right. sure. other people's descriptions. Yeah, hands-on for sure. Yeah. So the car that I remember you as as a kid was definitely the uh, Mustang Probe because my dad was running GTP 962s and 935s, so I was always watching. I'm sure Spence was trackside as well. Um, we looked up a couple of guys you ran those cars with. Ari Leindyke came, came up, Pete Halsmer, and then uh, Jack Baldwin, who Spencer currently races against when he does the uh, – World Challenge stuff and able to beat him this year at St. Pete. So it's kind of funny, two generations of, uh, of Pompelli's racing against Jack, who's still out there doing it. Well, you guys yeah. could drove together. We what? Yeah, you that's could drove together. Yeah, those uh, are the yeah. the number the names that came up that were really the, like, the, oh, yeah, wow, yeah. Ari Lyndeck. Well, that's there was another cool. name in all but that. He, he never drove the Pro Baldwin, I don't think. He drove... He drove the Corvette. The Corvette. Ah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Uh, the uh, other guy you didn't mention that drove the Probe was Bruce Jenner. Yeah. Uh, was that Bruce at the time. So the other girl... That drove Caitlyn Jenner. Kate, Caitlyn. Is it Caitlyn now? Back then it was Bruce. Oh, no, so, you, so do you, you go with? Say, yeah, no, I think I think the, the so, proper would be to say Bruce, right? Posthumously. Okay, posthumous. Posthumous Bruce Jenner. <laughs> yeah. So when Bruce Jenner and Lynn St. James drove together at the Watkins Glen Six Hour, that was a. You know what's sad is how much Bruce probably a year ago started looking like Lynn St. James. <laughs> Amazing. That's hard to get. Do you mean amazing? Out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I have to stick up for Bruce. Um, Caitlin, Bruce, back in those days, was was an extremely nice guy. He that, was no, as no. cool as he could be. That is still true. I just every virtually everybody that knew the guy loved him, and um, you know he's a national hero for his yeah his uh, sporting yeah for sure. No, he drove uh, the Lamborghini Super Trofeo series I, two years ago for one of my clients, right. and no, he was actually super nice. I he, he was. He I was, and he was fast. At one point, he was fairly fast yeah. in the cars. Yeah. Um, but uh, I always liked having him as a co-driver. I think we were together. I don't know six or eight races, and. You know, the attention of being Bruce's co-driver was fabulous because nobody knew who I was at the time. Sure. So it was good. It was It'd all good It'd be like Frankie Muniz's teammate. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah, I actually raced against uh, Bruce and his son, Bert, who still races quite a bit at uh, Kansas two years ago yeah, in the Lamborghini uh, yeah, Series yeah. and sat next to him. And I'd met his son, Bert, the year prior at the finale. And he knows Lally through, uh, I think they did an off-road truck race or something together. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. we struck up a conversation, and, and Bert's really cool. And then Bruce, now Caitlin, was, was really cool and, um, and and super friendly to everybody. You know, not yeah. Hollywood at all. Like, just wanted to be one of the – Yeah, just I want to say one of the guys, but clearly that wasn't the case. Hmm. Well, no, I think he still likes being one of the guys. Right. He just chooses not to be one himself. <laughs> oh, fair enough. So, okay. anyway. Yeah. But anyway, so, so – uh, uh, so throughout the 80s, you were sort of the, the 80s sports car star as far as we look at it. And, yeah. then, and then Spencer, by this point, you know, late 80s, Spencer's probably just preteen, yeah. um, early teenage years. It was in junior high when we were going to all the races. And yeah. I went to a bunch of those GTP races. I remember the first time I was at Lime Rock in the Glen and, mm -hmm. um, you know, certainly Daytona every year we'd go to. Never got to Sebring in all those years, but um, 
you know, got to uh, some of the street races. I remember going to Columbus and even out to Portland. The only time I was ever out wow. in Portland was to watch him race. And that's when my brother almost killed himself on the ATV. We would, to, to entertain ourselves, we would take the uh, ATV from the team. You know, I'm sure they needed yeah, it to right, run yeah, tires right, or something, right. but we were off and running around. <laughs> and yep. They had a off-road motocross track in the middle, so we thought, oh, this would be a great idea. Uh, he he <laughs> landed on a jump. He jumped it and landed on another jump. As he went down, the jump came up, and it kind of bounced him. He went into the woods and uh, through the trees and... He was covered in prickles, but he took it pretty pretty well. You know, he just brushed it off and off he went. But it's amazing how many stories you don't yeah. hear at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard that <laughs> one ever. In your 40s, everything changes. I have yeah. a very similar story from when my dad ran the Panos GT1 car. They were based at Road Atlanta, so they went testing one day, and we came up after school. My sister and I, my sister is working with Magnus and other teams in the sports car racing paddock now, and uh, we're racing golf carts around, and one of the drivers was a guy named Doc Bundy, who you might have raced against. Oh, yeah, then. Doc. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Doc brought his... Uh, nephew out and uh i'm on one golf cart with my my middle sister and, and doc's nephew's on the other one with my youngest sister and they're going down this hill and uh the hill that goes underneath turn 10 mm -hmm. you know underneath the uh, chicane at red atlanta and uh the kid just like loops it somehow and it starts barrel rolling down the track he breaks his arm in like four places and so i have to put him on the good golf cart to go back and now i've got to drive the one that's like on three wheels and the roof's caved in back down to the paddock so yeah i uh that, that was a really embarrassing thing to be like, Dad, I don't know what happened. It's weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, but as I always understood it, you know, while you're, you're basically at a karting age, but yet you're not karting and you're out racing full-time, correct? You know, you never really Never took the karting. karted at all, no. Karting yeah. wasn't even on the radar living in Northern Virginia. I literally didn't know it existed. Sure. And I guess it was a California thing. It was, you know, maybe yeah. a, a Florida thing. Even, uh, you know, up in upstate New York. Yeah, it was I, big in New York, too. There right, was yeah. a lot of karting, and Lally was into it, but... It's just something that completely missed the Northern Virginia area by any stretch. And, um, you know, I never even considered it. So, but so was racing, I mean, obviously you went to all of your dad's races, but was racing on your radar? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, are you kidding? These were the days when you know, he'd show up with some model. <laughs> you know, <laughs> some model. <laughs> so Hard to keep track. Model yeah. that was, uh, you know, on their car posters, and the, the drivers would go to parties beforehand. And, right. Well, you know, the, the, and this is the 80s. I mean, yeah, it's, exactly. Yeah, all kinds it's of good stuff. Proper parties. Right. Proper parties, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, they were racing in these cool places like downtown Miami and, right. you know, other yachts all over the place. And it was just a. Uh, Do you remember any of this, Tom? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I remember, I remember the models. <laughs> I remember the models. <laughs> it was just after Spencer's mother and I were not married yeah, anymore, by the way. Legal clarification. I'm bound but by law to say this. <laughs> yeah. For sure. For sure. Those were the days when I decided this is what I yeah, not only want to do, what I had to do. Sweet posters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Chest hair. Like chest hair. Like everything's yeah. adding up. Yeah. Uh, well, he met Elaine, and he figured that's what would happen if uh, he went racing. He'd end up with some, and he did. Yeah. Lindsay. Yeah, you're welcome, yeah. for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think that's how that was supposed to go. Oh, yeah, we'll get into it. <laughs> but, uh, and kids. Uh, yeah, well, no, it's funny because I, I uh, you know, I, I, I heard all the, the, the stories of you with the models and all the great 80s stories, and yet Spencer, in sort of the modern-day paddock, is by far the old man. You know, I think the I expression would. was bringing sand to the beach. Uh, yeah, you, you brought Lindsay to Three Rivers once. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, mm -hmm. so like you couldn't be any more, any less Tom Pompelli. Today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it was, <laughs> the uh, apple fell far from the tree in that respect. But, uh, no, I'm, I've been very, very fortunate that I've found Lindsay, and so 
so I just never really had the a lot never of days at the track stories, with yeah. yeah. But um, I I live vicariously through others sometimes, and yeah, we we know a few. Yeah, we do, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> yeah. But basically, so you didn't really you didn't get behind the wheel till what driving school or how yeah. did how did this so. Basically, how what was what was the process like for you to bug your dad? I want to go racing, and Tom, how did you handle this? I, I well, I don't <laughs> know how you want to tell the story, but I always assumed that we'd you know go get a car and race at CCA or something fun like that, and do some Firehawk. And sure. every time I'd bring it up, it was absolutely no way. Right, you'll kill yourself and you go broke, which yep. I was already broke. It was you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, you were alive. <laughs> I didn't have any money, so that didn't really matter. But. Uh, you know, this was a dangerous time. You know, we really hadn't gotten the Hanses. The track safety was terrible still. I mean, there's a lot of things that changed, even in that first kind of five years of racing for me as far as safety goes. So I understood the concerns, but it's just something I wanted to do. So I asked for a Skip Barber school for Christmas, thinking, you know, that would be... And by this point, we're what, 19, early 1990s? Yeah, well, I was... I think it was 19 when I did the school. This would have been 95. Okay. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, it, I asked for it, and he said, absolutely not. You know, but, <laughs> no but, way. But he ended up you know, buying me a lot of nice gifts. I got this one sweater from Ski Chalet. You remember that yeah, place? Sure. It was $300 for a sweater that I'd wear you know, maybe once. I wasn't even really into sweaters at the time. So that went back, got $300 in my pocket, and I ended up saving up enough to go on standby to uh, Skip Barber. And this is back when, you know, if you had free time, you give them, you know, discounted price and right. call you up and say, hey, you know, we have an opening. We have an opening right here. Two we days, you know, Bridge Hampton go. So right. uh, off I went. I told him about it, like, probably, I don't know, a day or two before I left. And <laughs> he wasn't super happy. He was actually pretty quiet. We were in the car driving back from the marina on Route 50 in Virginia or Maryland. And he just got real quiet for about five seconds. And then he's like, Okay. And that was pretty much it. You're you like know? waiting for it. Yeah, waiting, yeah. For, You're it. waiting <laughs> for it. Yeah, here it comes. Yeah, that was it. So off I went. Now, you want to hear that story from my? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I said, no, no way are you going to race cars. I'm never going to have anything to do with it. I hope it's not something that's in your blood. Don't do it. Um, and and uh, remember in the old days, you know, Gilles Villeneuve was a good friend, as was Gordon Smiley, and there were a lot of other guys that just yeah. didn't make it through racing. Back then, I think it was just very dangerous. And when he went to school, it was dangerous still. Um, as I recall, the week or two before you went up to Lime Rock to your first school, poor fellow got killed in a Formula Atlantic race up there. So I just didn't want to have anything to do with it. Right. So he went to his mother. <laughs> 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 and that's where he got them. He doesn't, he doesn't want me to know that, nor does his mother, but I do know that that's where he got the money to get standby at the Skip Barber School. And uh, I guess he did pretty well up there. I, did I go with you? Did I no. finally give in so and go? Yeah, actually, the, the Skip Barber School I paid for myself, but the path then was you had to do a three-day school. Yeah, and you right. did two lapping days. Right. And then you could do a race. And I thought, you know, at the time, um, I needed to just figure out how to do the next step, not even worry about what yeah. was after that. So I did the school, got through the school, and the next step for me was to do that lapping day. Right. And I think it was back then, you know, it was $495 or something, which I think it's 1500 now. Yeah. But, uh, and, you know, you had to put a crash damage deposit down in case you crashed the car, which, you know, didn't Where have did that any. Where from, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So uh, uh, she actually paid for that first lapping day so that got me to you know step two and then uh so that's where i got the money for that and then i got a credit card in college <laughs> you know you go to the, one of those welcome to campus things and there's mbna with 
you know, the JMU credit card you know, interest rate's only 38%. <laughs> right. <laughs> what <laughs> what do you know what that meant? So uh, I did lapping day number two to qualify via that credit card. So it was the first race weekend. So that would have been um, 95 when I did the school and the two lapping days. And this whole time, Tom has no idea you're doing this. Yeah. Uh, no, he knows. I he know. knows. Okay. But then. But you're not helping out at all. No, I was furious. Yeah. <clears throat> but the first race I did up at Lime Rock in, in Skip Arbor Car, right. he came. Mom, my mom came and he came. So they were both there. Nice. So what was the next step from the Skip Arbor racing? Because not that many years later, you were racing Porsches with Spencer Pompelli racing. How did that, how did you go from a Skip Arbor school to a few years later, a team with your own name on it? Well, I guess I did a couple of years of Skip. I did two seasons and uh, he helped me with the second season. Right. You know, I did one season where the first race I did, I did two more weekends that year, which is two races a weekend. So that's a total of six. And he helped me a lot with the second year. I think I paid for half right. and he paid for half. I was working for him anyway, <laughs> so it was all his money. Was, <laughs> you know, was it going What was the going uh, to me and then to Skip Barber? Or was it going right to Skip Barber? You know, it didn't yeah, matter. Right. But uh, well, How did you convince him? Like, what was the what was the hump that you had to get past? Or what was, did you go win a race or something? And suddenly he's like, okay, maybe this kid's not the worst. He no. Can, he's um, a little help. I think. To go from furious to supporting you within a year is pretty uh, I, impressive. I, nice move. Yeah. I, yeah. Think, <laughs> I think he thought if he didn't come, then it would be. He's realized I was going to go anyway, yeah. so he might as well come and mm -hmm. see how it went, and uh, you know, be there to, to you know, visit me in the hospital if I if I needed it. And <laughs> the longer it went, I think uh, you know, the more he realized I was serious about it. I keep he kept waiting for the phase to pass, and it never did. So I think once he realized this is what Spencer's going to do, uh, he definitely came around and was very supportive. Um, but up to that point, it was tough. Would you agree with that? Yeah, <clears throat> particularly when he was in the open-wheel cars because, yeah. you know, my little experience with my last open-wheel race led me to believe they were unsafe, which sure. I still think. Sure. <clears throat> yeah, that's fair. So then um, in college, I met a guy named Chris Mitchum, who we, we know. Still know to this yep. day. Yeah. He's still involved in sports car racing. And he was doing SCC at the time, and I forget how we actually found each other, but uh, he knew I was racing. I knew he was, and he invited me to come do a weekend down at Moroso, 24 hours in his Honda CRX, nice. which is a front drive car. Team Honda. Yeah, Team Honda, right. <laughs> Would have loved it. Uh, and so we did that, and Tom came down, and the Mitchums did a really good job with that car, the whole program, and they also were doing some work for Jack Lewis, who was based here in Atlanta, and yep. Jack was racing in professional sports car racing at the time. Long-time Porsche guy. Yep. And at this time, um, you know, I was probably in my early 20s, so it's been a couple years later. I'd done a couple races, and one of the guys at Skip Barber invited me to do that same 24 that Chris was crewing for Jack. So I go down to do that in a GT1 Camaro. So I'm going from a 110 horsepower, 1,000 pound formula car and street tires that did 120 miles an hour. Yeah. Next thing you know, I'm in an 850 horsepower you know, Camaro that uh, did 185 probably in the bank. It was GT1 at the time. <laughs> you know, it was prototype gt1 2 and 3 so we were in the second class never driven slick tires before <laughs> never driven like straight cut gearbox uh, actually arrow. i guess i had but you know, <laughs> racing clutch i stalled the thing 12 times no right, one ever said right. hey yeah. by the way you know it's gonna be a little different yeah, than you the skipping car really and your foot in right and your, your zuzu trooper that you drive you know it's it's okay to spin the tires taken off and so i looked uh, like an idiot and uh, <laughs> i remember the windshield was so warped i could barely see through it right a piece of lexan with you know seven or eight little ripples in it yeah uh, so I go out in my first session, 
and I get ripping through the gears, and I'm at, I swear I'm in sixth gear at the rev limiter, and I just, um, cars are blowing by me. And I'm down at the bottom of the banking, and every now I touch the bottom, and the thing would wiggle back and forth. <laughs> and every time a car would come by, you know, yeah. it, it was I'm, these are loud race cars. I'd never driven around loud race cars, being a skip barber, so it would come by. Right, you know, and the way they know, come by, it freaks you out. It sure. freaked me out. Yeah. Like you know, I they could have been waving every flag in the world at me. I couldn't. My eyes were <laughs> so wide and focused. Yeah. Ahead oh and my gosh. Pants on the wheel. Exactly. Just remember that kind of sense of panic, and I thought, oh great, you know, this this is not for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, it turns out they put the cheering that fact. They put the quick change rear end in backwards. Oh, no. Nice. Oh. So that's yeah. why, you know, okay. so once they yeah. fixed that and I got some real laps in it, the thing was just a hunk of junk, but uh, you know, it, it got me out there. But at the time, it was the coolest thing ever because you're getting to drive something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know, probably dreamt about that thing at night. Yeah, exactly. It scared me. But now uh, you look back and you're like, oh, what was I thinking? Yeah, I was <laughs> still pretty scared throughout, but I survived, you know, one or two stands. I think the car ran for seven hours that year. Right. Anyway, but I've gotten off track. Um, I met the Mitchums. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know, through professional sports car racing and through going to school at JMU. And we did that one race together, and they had told me that Jack's car was for sale. And Tom said, you know, why don't, why don't we look into getting that car and maybe having a go at this? And at the time, I think, you know, we had about enough budget to do almost a full season of the Skip Harbor Pro Series, which is the next logical step. Right, right. And at the end of that, it had absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, so you do the Skippy thing, you don't win... The money's gone, and that's it. You're on your own. And it was his suggestion, let's see if we can get Jack Lewis's car. Right. And maybe, you know, have a go at this and let the Mitchums run it. And it was like a 993? It was a Porsche. 993 body car, but yeah. it was a tube, tube frame, frame. Yeah. 1974 wow. chassis. Wow. Uh, it still had the original <laughs> roof and floor, swing axle, uh, 3.6 liter. I think it was a 3.8. We, we ran it as a 3.6, but <laughs> no one was going to attack it anyway. It didn't How matter. <laughs> yeah, it was a never heard of that. Car. Yeah. And it was a closed wheel car. And... Uh, you know, Chris and I's deal was that we would find rental income, and right. then if there was a third driver, you know, Chris would drive, and I would drive always. And we did a, a season together with uh, w- without having to put any money into it because we got a little bit of rental income. So once we made the first investment, uh, you know, it got us through our first Daytona, did a Sebring, uh, did a couple races. But one of the things was that when the car would break, Chris always wanted to send it back to Jack Lewis, which would cost money. And Tom kept saying, you know, it's a gearbox. They're all the same. Let's just take the thing apart and fix it. So uh, one day, kind of without Chris's knowledge, we <laughs> took the car and ripped the gearbox out and fixed the thing. And Chris wasn't really happy about that. Um, <laughs> and I understand why, because, you know, broke six more times after that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we just couldn't afford to do it any other way. Right, right. And Chris and I ended up separating, you know, parting ways. And it turned from, you know, Pompelli Mitchum racing to Pompelli racing. Um, we're still good friends. You know, yeah. It was an amicable yeah. split. You actually drove with them in uh, 11 or 12 at yeah, Ohio. That's yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. In yeah. BMW. And you got to say something for his dad, too, because his oh, dad yeah. was really great. He was. Um, helped with that program a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, from that point on, you know, we kind of took it over, um, you know, mostly me, but I relied heavily on him to do stuff. We ended up taking that engine apart several times and, you know, doing a lot of work ourselves. And then Jack Lewis, who really kind of lost the money from doing some of the rebuilds, but he was really cool, too. He helped out by, uh, you know, giving us advice and you know, telling us how to get the thing back together when it came apart. So those days, uh, I, you know, I, I really kind of think I cut my teeth then because I learned about every aspect of right. the business because I right. had to do it. Yeah. You know, I had to tow yeah. the trailer and load mm-hmm. the trailer and make all the flights and reservations and hard cards and yep. figure out equipment and parts. And, and then I had to find the funded drivers, and I was able to do a couple more years that way. Uh, and then, you know, Tom was a huge help through all of that. Right. 
Well, that's one of the things that I think today, and we'll, we'll get back to today a little bit later, but one of the things, you know, in terms of your demeanor track side, I think the fact that now you've done a lot of driving for customer-based teams as sort of the pro that's hired in to do stuff, you know, there's a patience that you have that doesn't always show up with other drivers and an understanding of how this game works that, that I've always felt uh, attributed back to, to those days, the fact that you get how that rental income works and you've had to deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. So. How old were you when you were doing that stuff? So this would have been, um, the first race Chris and I did was 98, yeah. and then 99, and 2000 we ran that car. Yeah. And so you're uh, like 24, 25? Yeah, about yeah. that. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah so that's a, I mean, even now that's pretty young for a guy to be getting GT rides, but then also having to be hands-on and, and do all do that all. stuff. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons that Sean and I really wanted to interview Tom P, other than the fact that he's the most interesting man in the world, was that he obviously built a hell of a career professionally and was able to afford you some things that, you know, others wouldn't have. So you're able to get a sports car career going, helped you get the car. And, you know, you definitely earned it on merit and, and sweat equity, as I like to call it. <clears throat> so many kids now that come from also, you know, a wealthy background or get, you know, a, a rich uncle or whatever, try to make that transition from kid that's, you know, bringing a check, whether it's from NTW or you know, or whatever. dads, whatever. Yeah, we have, I'm sorry, go ahead. And then they never make that transition from guy that's bringing the money to guy that's earning the money and winning the races and the whole thing. Do you think it's because you were forced to not only drive the car well, but also having to work, you know, build gearboxes, tear motors apart, call people? Because at 24 years old, if you're calling guys saying, hey, do you want to come pay, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars to drive with a, me and a car I'm going to drive in a truck and trailer? to the next race and hopefully it runs that's a mature and you know that that character building experience probably helps you now when you're dealing with you know flying lizard or park place or any of these big teams yeah no absolutely you know that like i said i cut my teeth during those days yeah that's really what you know there's, there's several things you need to be a good driver i think my on-track things i learned a ton from skip barber and the people that were there and my dad gave me some advice not specifically about how to drive the race car but the thought process in the race car i'll give you one of the best Tom lines ever uh, well two of them <laughs> uh, he told me that you know first off the, the classic is that uh, sometimes racing gives you something but it never owes you anything yep. and that holds true no Absolutely. matter what but in the race car he would always <coughs> say never drive faster than you need to drive to finish where you're going to finish anyway and I still to that day <laughs> yeah, you know, I, use that advice. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, as far as the business side of racing, and I think being a good driver, you have to understand all the parts that go together, not because you're actually putting them together, but you need, just need to know how to relate and right. why they're all important. And that's where I learned that. And so I think uh, when, when I ask for something like, a, you know, a gear change, I'm not asking it because... I want it. You know, it's not like you're playing Gran Turismo. You go to the setup page, push the button, and now there's a different gear in the car. And I know those guys have to work, and I know what it takes. And so I, you know, um, I think that some of that means when I do ask for something like that, the guys know I'm just not being willy-nilly, and it, it really is a, a real request. Right. But, uh, yeah, you know, that was definitely a bold time. And I think it was a simpler time back then, of course. You, know, you always look in the past and think it's simpler. But we were able to compete. I think the best finish we ever had was a fourth. We never made the podium. But, yeah, there was be good you know, 10 cars in the field and, um, you know, our little box trailer would bring the fourth place, sixth place car home. And we were able to run on probably 8,500 a weekend of rental income. Mm -hmm. Wow. And yeah. Tom helped, uh, you know, a little bit financially when we got in a pinch here and there, but, uh, you know, he never said, here's some money, go buy a ride. Right. And he probably could have, and maybe I didn't have a formula one career because I didn't have that jump start. But at the same time, I think I've had a very long and rewarding career, right. gotten to work with a lot of great people. And I think that that wouldn't have happened. I think I would have 
you know, puttered out after he decided, okay, you know, I'm, I'm done spending money. Well, and that's kind of my thing. I'm throwing this back to Tom. You know, we, all four of us at this table know those kind of what I call in and out dads, those dads who write a big check to get their kid in. And then they're like, oh, no, I don't want to be involved. It's up to him. He's got to do it. But then they still end up doing the backroom deals. Mm -hmm. They still end up writing the check. And, yeah, and, and for, for every 10 of those kids that we know, only one or two ever really stick around more than a few years. Right. Um, uh, Tom, was there any thought of that in, in any of this process when you first sort of helped Spencer out with the first couple of assets and, and telling him he's on his own? I mean, I, I assume back then it was the same kind of scenario that it is now with the, the volume of well-to-do kids that show up. Uh, was there any... Well, I never told him he was on his own. He told me he was on his own. He said, I I never want a penny of anyone's money going into my driving because once you do that, you're not really a professional driver. You're paying for a ride uh, to some extent. And he said, right. you know, uh, don't ever do that. Don't do it behind my back. Don't ever let anybody think you're thinking about it. And I didn't. Right. Well, and uh, part of that, and I'd say, uh, uh, again, a thing that we don't always see is is Despite growing up with, with decent means, you've always been fairly grounded, Spencer, in my opinion, that, that I wouldn't speak to you and think that you came you know, with, with anything more than Ryan or I did. And, um, and I think that's part of it. But I mean, was that, was that the family culture that you guys grew up in or, or where do you think that came from? I mean, I think at the time, at that age, if he had given me money to go buy a ride, I would have been more than happy to. It just was never an offer. You know, mm -hmm. It was never an option. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think he's always been, you know, my dad is, has been very successful. He's always been super cool and easy and uh, understanding of everyone. He never has an elitist attitude or anything like that. Sure. And I think that definitely uh, pays off. Plus, you know, my dad is not afraid to get dirty. You know, if there's something broken at the house or, you know, on the car, he, he dives in and fixes it. He's the last person that's going to call a plumber right. to do his dirty right. work for him. He's going to, you know, dig up the concrete and fix the pipes. So I thought that was always really cool. And I've got a little of that in him, but not as, as much. Uh, I'm more than happy sometimes to call gutter cleaner or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because um, you're never home. That's exactly <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> or, you know, I you don't just grew up faster than me. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, for sure, I think it's... While that's going on, you're getting to drive so. with Randy Popes, too, at the time, is one of the best Porsche guys, you know, on the planet, very well-regarded factory Porsche driver. Mm -hmm. Were you measuring yourself against him? Yes. And, like, seeing the results and knowing that it was going to go somewhere for you? Yeah, exactly. Looking, having Randy in the same car was the first time I had a chance to really see, okay, is this me or the equipment? And uh, he was quicker than I was, uh, especially a lot of those early races, and it, I mean, it drove me nuts. I would look at data hours and hours and try to figure out exactly how. And, yeah, he's just better at the time, and I just had a little bit more to learn about how to make the cars go fast. But... Uh, you know, as I got closer and closer that season, uh, it was started to see, like, yeah, maybe I can do this. And everything was going great until the end of 2003. Ivankovic said, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. Tapped out. Yeah. Yep. And so uh, the next year, I was once again kind of without a ride. And so I went to Daytona, and I was there on foot for the test days, walking around, talking to everyone. And it, let me tell you, the worst feeling in the world as a racer is to be walking around the paddock with your helmet in hand, just trying to find something to drive. And I have so much respect for the guys I see that do it now because there's not a lot of people that do anymore. Right. And you just feel so emasculated, feel so low. You don't even have a place to sit other than your car. You know, you can't go and even hang out anywhere. It, it's it's kind of what it must feel like to be homeless, you know, in, in some small way. Right. Just complete uh, isolation. And you're not invited to the party and all your friends yeah, are. There's yeah, there's a big party going on. Your friends are there and you're not invited. And so here again, I'm in a situation where I've spent so many years committed to trying to do this. 
I've actually now had some success. We got some podiums uh, at Zip. We won one race at Trois Rivera in 2001, and now I'm out of a ride. Well, it's tough too because, I mean, to my knowledge, you haven't had any major wins or anything at this point. At this right? point, no. Yeah, you just have right. one, one win and that's it. Guy's you know? got a handful but of top fives. Yeah, I thought I'd proven to enough guys there that I could do it, but I just, you know, the, the music had stopped and there weren't any open seats. So I come back for the race at Daytona that same year, 2004, and I'm walking through the paddock again. And Peter Sarita, this guy some people in the paddock will know, but maybe not all the listeners. He's like an insurance guy. Like, he sells right? race car insurance. Yes. A really nice guy. <coughs> and for whatever reason, I happened to say to him, yeah, I'm looking for a ride. I, I need something and I don't have anything. And so he said, I'll keep my ears open, which everybody says. Sure, yeah. So I look around. There's absolutely nothing. I even get in Larry Schumacher's Porsche and do a couple laps in it and then, you know, that didn't materialize into anything. So I'm driving, I'm literally driving out of the tunnel to leave. And I decide I'm going to stop at Smoothie King to get a smoothie as opposed to getting on the highway and heading back north. So I, as I'm pulling into Smoothie King, I get a phone call from Peter. Hey, there's somebody here. They need a driver. Can you come? Come fast. So I turn around, get in it, and it's uh, Mike Pickett with Race Prep Motorsports. Yep. They have Randy Pope signed up to drive with Mike. Pope's is under contract with Audi. He can run the Porsche. That's no problem, but there's some fine print that they brought up that he can't race against an Audi, and there was an Audi in the series at the time. So he's out. He can't do it, and they don't know me from anyone, and they put me in the car. Randy's like, yeah, he wouldn't be a bad idea. Well, you know, Later, see, I got to go. So here I am at Daytona. I have to make one lap in the test or the practice to be official, and these guys are still putting the car together. It's a thrash. So I get there. I agree to do it, and they put me in the car. 15 minutes left in practice. I got to get out to take the lap, and I'm going through the paddock, and this is the old Daytona paddock, and there are people everywhere, right. and I'm, I'm just running this wall of people, and I've never been more amped up to try to get out on track, and I ended up actually hitting a guy. <laughs> what? I really? hit a guy I didn't know with that. the wow. car. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, legitimately hit his leg. What's and the, uh, I'm not, what's the statute of limitations on, uh, well, it's expired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But so you just slowed down enough to like get him out from under the yeah, car and kept but going. But I was, I was that amped up. I mean, <laughs> wow. it was not an accident. Didn't drag him very far. Right. This yeah. Was, <laughs> he, he slowed down to kick him off. This was right. not an accident. I used the bumper to move him out of my way to get on the track. Oh, so he did it on purpose. <laughs> no, I don't think there's any statute on that one. <laughs> I mean, I didn't think it would hurt him, and it didn't hurt him. But at the same time, I go out, I get my lap, and then all I could think of, oh my gosh. I'm going to go to jail. Yeah. I literally think, like, <laughs> yeah, that's how that works. I'm going to go to jail. So that, that the cops are going to come. Attempted vehicular, vehicular homicide. Manslaughter yeah, manslaughter. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Right. So I have a buddy named Jack Lane, a uh, good friend of mine who I taught at a Skippy school. I actually worked at Daytona in the sign shop. He's the guy that, great artist, mm -hmm. uh, but he's the guy that used to, back in the day, like, carry a bucket of paint up and paint the Daytona back on the wall after the NASCAR guys would scrape it it's off. That's sure. where I think it's going, isn't it? No, so I ask him, I say, I you know, What's, what's the deal? Are they going to arrest me? What have you heard? He's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it was all, all over that you hit somebody. And they were like, everyone's just really, really sorry about that. They're, we don't know why those people were in your way. And <laughs> somehow it turns out that, like, I'm the victim in this they whole thing, which is you're like, good, because yeah. I was really concerned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought for sure I was Maybe going to Maybe they put jail. the other guy in jail. Not, yeah. It, it, I like that it wasn't. Is the guy okay? Yeah. It's am yeah. I going to jail? Well, I knew he was okay. I didn't hit him that hard, but, you know, just I'm thinking like right. vehicular attempted manslaughter or something. So anyway, right. um, the next day we get out in the race. Mike Pickett starts. I think we go a lap down. Um, what is this, like 2003 or something? This is 04. Okay. 
and again, my, my career is done. Right. I get this last-minute break. And you're, God, you're like 29 at this point? Yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah four. So, yeah, yeah I'm going to be turning 30 that Just year. Just about to hit 30, right. Yeah. Wow. And I go out in the race, and as soon as I get to the kink, the gas pedal breaks. It flips backwards. I can actually flip and look at the backside as I'm looking down. Mm-hmm. So I kind of coast around five and six, and I can't get the thing in. And here I am with a shot, but the team doesn't know what I can do. I've just barely made yeah, it out of the Yeah, and you're one lap in. You already broke the so car. I look down, and I see there's this little <laughs> wire. You've barely done one yeah. lap, and you've broken the car. I already broke the car. And exactly. hit a guy. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah, this is a good idea. Thanks, Popes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we're going out, and I'm driving around. And completely dead stake, and I pull out of turn six just below the banking. And I look and I see there's this wire sticking out of the thing. So I try to you know, loosen my belts and reach down. I can't reach it. So then I, I undo my belts and reach down, and I could just barely push this wire in with my hands and make the car go. So you're on the banks at Daytona in a Continental Tire race in 2004, Four. Yep. and you've taken your seatbelts no off. With no seatbelts, and I've got one belt. eye that can barely see over the dashboard. You're like looking through the wheel to yeah. see where you're Just going, trying right? trying to go with one, because I'm head completely under the dashboard, and it's going fine until I get to the chicane. Tom, have you heard this before? I no. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't you think anybody has. <laughs> Somehow make it through the chicane without getting hit, make it all the way back, jump out of the car. It's a real quick fix. I go back out. I find myself running P3. In the, in the in the line in the line of cars. Okay, not right. not third in the track. Right, but right. I'm third in the line on the restart, and I don't want to be in anyone's way. But the way it works out, you know, the P the real yeah. P3 fades, and I sit behind the two leaders the entire time, and the guys are so impressed that well, this kid has pace. They actually invited me back, and that got me back to the track. Mark Greenberg calls up. We end up doing some races with Synergy that year uh, in his RSR, and then that's also when I. Uh, Bill Adam can't do some races for TPC, and they asked me to come sub, and we did a good job in the six-hour that year, and so Bill decided, you know, John Spencer's a young kid. He needs a break. Why don't you run with him for the rest of the year? And so uh, here I had, you know, now went from nothing to having three good rides, and basically when I hadn't committed to Synergy, I would do TPC, and had a couple options at the end of the season, um, Synergy or TPC, ended up going with TPC, and... You know, that's that's when we ended up doing a full season, um, actually got paid, and for the first time I was making a living more racing than I was instructing. So that's... And then we went Daytona 2006, and I think that's when it so blew up. So 04, 05 is when you're starting to get a paycheck. That transition yep. to pro. And so, so your first pro year of racing would probably be like 99 with the... Pompelli racing? With yeah, the first time I did so a pro race was 98 so it took at Daytona okay. with wow. a Camaro. Okay, yeah, so it took like six, seven years six, yeah. of mm-hmm. like busting your hump, yeah, working with your hands, getting dirty, you know, to getting rides, opportunities, yeah. and then also just in passing seeing Peter Sarita and then him knowing you're looking for a ride. If he doesn't know you're looking for a ride, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Even yeah. though he knows you, he might not know you don't have a ride or that you're even available. So like but that one little interaction can lead to such big things. You know, by chance, it's just crazy. And I think that's a testimony to that idea that you have to keep your network open. You got a network to get work. Those couple, because I'm sure <clears throat> there were 100 Peter Charitas that you had at the time that you were making sure knew, and it just happened to be that one guy that came through. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly. You got a network to get work. There it is. That's what I say. Sad. You kind of <laughs> left out a pretty important part of 2004. What was that? Um, I believe you got a podium at Petit Le Mans. Mm. You know, I absolutely did. That was that actually. 
It's funny because I'm shaking my head right now. <laughs> that's when I look back at my career, like that is absolutely one of the highlights. The three of us, you, me, and Andy, yeah, with our hazardous suits on the podium, like working on the car, working like, on the car. Me, you, my dad, like set and tow, yeah. and like who got that gearbox going? Yeah, like that. That was unbelievable. Tell that story. I, I'm pretty so proud of that one. Oh four, I've got an opportunity of a lifetime, uh, because I'd been working on race cars to that point and racing like very minimal stuff. I'd done like three actual races, right. And uh, and her dad is a known mechanic, so you've been yeah, able to drive. Yeah, you know, back in the day, back you used to run cars against Tom and those guys. And uh, I get the opportunity from a guy from England that's like, hey, if you can put my car back together, it's in a million pieces at another race shop. I'll let you drive it for three races. It's all I can afford to do. So me and a guy named Jason Duncan put the car together. We run Mid-Ohio and Lime Rock and ALMS. And Lally had a ride fall through, so he was available. So he and I do the two races. He knew the car really well. I'd worked with him in 01 on that same chassis, so I knew he'd be the guy to have. <clears throat> and then uh, for Petit, we needed a third driver, and they really wanted to use another guy, um, but we knew Spence was you know, available, and he's our, he's our buddy, so we go get Spence. And so the week of the race, we kind of had a shift in crews. We were trying to build a second car up from nothing, and right. it just turned into a bit of a, a thrash, but... I didn't know Spencer very well other than, like, as a driver and as a friend, like, that you see at the track. And I knew Andy from, like, the first day I met him. He was helping me break down boxes at a team called Archangel Motorsports, and I literally thought he was another mechanic. You know, I thought he was, like, another, another <laughs> right, kid working right, right, on the right. car. And so uh, to see Spence get in there and, like, you know, getting covered in dirt. And I remember him and my dad were putting a gearbox back together one minute, and the next minute, like, they're on the front suspension, and they're, like, setting the toe. And I just came over to Spence, and he's, like, filthy, and he's got wrenches in his hand. He's like, no, we're getting it. We're getting it. He was, like, really, like pumped up and then uh our little band of brothers basically went and took on mike johnson's team at the time which was a uh, intersport racing and they had you know robin liddell clint field and milka duno and all the budget you could ask for and uh we were as spence likes to say we were putting we were milka putting it in the gravel trap away from a win because mm -hmm. we came home second in a 10-hour <laughs> race just the fact right. that the car finished you know with all the people that, that, that well jumped in did. kind of thing that was that that is one of the highlights of my career um but yeah that was a really fun fun event so we're basically in like the 2005 this is you know, at this going point into, it's 06 yeah. yeah it's the beginning of 06 you're going to be teamed up with tpc and mm -hmm. and you go into the 24 and this is a cool story because i remember the new 997 cup car had just come out yep. and you guys had one at the test we did and ran it and at the last minute going into the race mike levitas team owner and driver was like we're going to run the 996 that we know it's tried and true sell your 997 to taffle I think maybe went to another team. It did, and then you guys go into the race with pretty studded lineup: Yui and Boss, Randy Pogst, and Mike Levitus. He's probably one of the faster team owners out there at the time. And uh, you beat the new 997 Cup cars with the old car. And what I love about, like, my favorite thing about it is that your air jacks didn't work or they broke, and so Mike himself is like jacking the car up on pit road with like a NASCAR floor jack. And they go beat massive operations from TRG, Taffel, and all that yep. with the old car. I think that's, yep. like, the coolest way to win the 24-hour, which is obviously a very, very important thing. Yeah, he ruined my television show. Really? Yeah, yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You were doing that TRG documentary. Like, oh, GTO could win. No, thanks, Spence. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, old car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Lally was second, right? Yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yep. The big factory ride there, the P Pontiac sponsorship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were in the Damn. GTO that year, and we ended up, you know, Sometimes those races are won by five laps, and sometimes they're neck and neck. And I think the second time we won, with, I actually won in 2011 with Andy in the same car. Yep. It's a completely different experience than trying to, to win it in 2006, because in 11 we had a pretty decent lead and yep. kind of cruised to the victory. But in 06, 
it, every, after everyone kind of dropped out, sorted out, it turned into a two-car race. It was us versus Lally. And I think Johnny O was in the car, Mark Bunting, and right. uh, uh, RJ. And, and RJ, yeah. So we were racing those guys, and when they would pit, we'd go up a lap. And when they would pit, yep. uh, when we'd pit, they'd get back on our lap. Yep. And we went like that for probably the last 12 hours. Yep. And so we couldn't ever let up because, I mean, if, if they're on our lap when we go yellow, they're right on our tail. And we had a long, long green run there. We never actually yep. got yellow. But we were literally going lap for lap for 12 hours. And Randy and I, I think, you know, once it got close to the morning, did all the heavy lifting, and we would do back-to-back double stints. And those are some of the toughest stints I can ever remember because the pressure right. to try to win that 24. And for me, who hadn't done it at the time, was so big. And I just remember, you know, almost like getting nervous to the point of throwing up before I jumped in the car. And then even every shift I did, I'd have to think about, you know, you, you had an age pattern back then. You could yeah. easily yeah. go from, you know, what you think is – fourth to fifth and find fourth to third and sure. the thing is over. Now are the nerves that you want to win or are the nerves that you don't want to be the guy to throw it away? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yes. Yeah. You know, okay. you, and yeah. So uh, we ended up going back and forth like that, literally like getting their lap time every time and we're battling for the 10th. You know, no such thing as backing off in that endurance race. I mean, every yeah. curve, yep. it was qualifiers after qualifiers and finally with about 40 minutes to go, the GTO broke their gearbox and only had yeah, fifth. That's yep. right. Yeah, and then we cruised high. home. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> so it's true story. We're driving around, and on the lap to take the white, Randy's like, I smell something electrical burning. Something's going on here. So we take the white. He drives all the way around, makes it no problem. We win the race. The serpentine belt, which is five little grooves on one yep. big belt, was down to two. Uh, yeah. So another lap or two, and then we'd it. lose the water pump. Yep. You know, we'd lose everything. Not, not Lost everything. So. Wow. So that's that's 2006. You win the 24-hour biggest race of your you know career, biggest win at that point, biggest anything you know, and uh, that that puts you on the on the list of guys that if I have a team and of two drivers or three drivers and I need one more guy to go get to hire, you're now on that list, which is like you know almost kind of sets you for a long time. You know, you can call. Let's say tomorrow, you don't have a ride for next season you can call every team on the list and say, hey, I've won this thing now two or three times, and you're going to get a call back. Whereas you could be a guy that went and ran the fastest lap, you know, for two hours one time at Daytona, but you're not getting the call because you threw it off the road. You you know, you're not a solidified person yet. Yeah, I definitely think that it uh, changed things after that win. You know, a lot of times I just don't think winning a big race, especially Daytona, can do a lot for your career because you do get lost in the shuffle. You do kind of tend to look at it as a team event and how was the effort but for whatever reason i think that really helped me out a lot career-wise and it got i did start getting phone calls like people were actually literally calling me yeah. kind of like i thought they would be doing all along it never <laughs> happened but, <laughs> well uh, i'd also argue the driver lineup as far as getting lost in the shovel makes it a big difference so it's like if there's a four driver lineup but especially in those days you know it's a little harder now because it seems like of a four driver lineup three of them are usually really good exactly um, but in those days you could get away with maybe only two of them yep, being yep. the good drivers yep. and in that case it was you know, uh, it was you and Randy, and 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 I, I would imagine that was probably a big part of it. Whereas if you'd had that same feat today, it might have been a little bit more difficult. Yeah, but that definitely changed things. And I think from that point, you know, now I've been in the sports car paddock for a while. I knew all, you know, the Bucklers and the Taffels and the Cole Scroggums and all the people that I would later go on to drive for. Yeah. And uh, and now I had the results to kind of say, you know, I know I've been yep. doing this for a while, and 
I appear to be pretty good at it, but yeah. now here are some actual results. Sure, and, uh, right. and I remember after Daytona, you know, it, I remember you guys still had the entry in Mexico because you had the points lead, but it didn't seem mm -hmm. like the team was really committed to doing the season, and so you're kind of back out on, uh, looking for a ride, weren't you? Well, we actually got through the season, and Mike was actually really good at honoring kind of the agreement that we had. Even if we didn't go racing, he took care of me, and he was always a great guy like that. But John Littlechild decided he wasn't going to be racing anymore, and sure. he was kind of the guy that was bringing me to TPC. And so, yeah, once again, I found myself at a crossroads. And at the end of that season in 2006, yep. uh, that's when Andy and Mark Bunting were going for the championship leading into the nine-hour race at Miller. And so they needed a third guy. And Andy said, how about Spence? So Andy always calls me Spence, even though my name is Spencer. You're Spence. Get over it. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so uh, I you know, talked to Buckler, and Buckler, oh, my gosh, he probably called me every day for the – three weeks leading up to that event just to remind me of how important it was right. that I not screw it <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, because I remember... Sounds out of character. <laughs> weird. I remember Andy pitching you to to Kevin multiple times. He's like, meh, mm -hmm. meh, meh. And then you go and drive for him at Miller and yep. yeah. do an awesome job like, yep. you know, like we all knew you would. Yeah, we won the race. Yeah. And then yeah. you yeah. end up driving for TRG for, what, God, five years, years or something? Five more years. Five, yeah, that. five more years. <laughs> so after the guy was like, nope, nope, no way. You're kind of like the guy they used when Andy moved on to the NASCAR stuff. You became, mm -hmm. you know, the Andy replacement, which is a really big shoes to fill, and obviously you did a great job with that as well. It's tough to get into the politics of it, but kind of fast-forwarding a couple of years later to Daytona 2014. Um, tell me about that process of you won and then you didn't, and where's the watch, and what? tell me about that. So that was, a, that was definitely one of those the WTF weekends. You know, I thought we had great pace in right. the uh, Whole in new the series. Audi. Back with Lizards. Back with car. Lizards. First time in 24, you know, with that team for me. And we have a new car. And everything in testing suggests, you know, we're going to be competitive. But we get in the race, and we are absolutely lighting fast. I remember being giddy. Usually after two-hour stint, I'm ready to get out of the car. But I was having so much fun. You know you got a shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we have a shot. Great team. And, uh, you know, it works out well. We, we kind of front-load uh, some of our other drivers. We're never really in contention until the morning hours. And next thing you know, you know, we, we're – we're battling for the lead. I remember I had a good battle with, uh, I think it might have been Townsend Bell for to take the lead, and uh, surprisingly he didn't hit me as I passed him. <laughs> Careful. I'm going to get that in writing He's also quick. not listening. I'm, I'm not worried. I'm going to jot that down. I don't, I'm going to have to fact check that. Yeah, that's because that's standard operating procedure no matter what. But um, Not better. Yeah, not and better. Uh, and then we, we, I forget. what. Oh, you know what happened was we got unlucky in that we were about to pit to do the final driver change to put Marcus in and we got a yellow. So now we have to pit in a closed pit because we're out of gas right. and that cycles us way back. So Marcus does a great job and he's running the Ferrari back down. We've already taken the lead but now we have to do it again. And in the final laps, it probably three to go, Marcus took a look inside in the bus stop. He had the other car fair and square. As we went left, the guy gave us room. Yeah. I forget who's in the car at the time. Uh, the Italian guy actually. That was a Pierre Guidi or whatever. Yeah, maybe. I thought it was. Okay, yeah. I could be I wrong. I think yeah. it was something else. Um, I don't know. Winklehawk anyway, is in it. Joe yeah. Ferrari. Joe yeah, Ferrari. Yeah, Joe Ferrari oh, against Marcus Winklehawk. And so Marcus gives him plenty of room as you go around the second apex. So right. now Marcus is on the outside, and the Ferrari guy slides up into him and hits him, and it chunks a big chunk out of our rim. I have no idea how that tire didn't deflate. So now we've got three laps to go. He gets the lead again, and we have such a bad vibration that Marcus can barely even see. So he's already gotten into us once. And then on the final lap, the Ferrari slides wide coming out of the, the hairpin. We all remember what happened. Yeah. And 
there some was listeners no might not. <laughs> yeah, there was no contact in the kink, but the Ferrari who was on the inside and you know half a car width back definitely moved out into all the lane that Marcus needed for them to get through Side there too side. wide. Yeah. Now, a lot of people say you can't go th too wide through the kink, that's and that's absolute crap. Yeah. yeah, You can go too wide anywhere. The racetrack's fine. You just have to have two drivers that are willing to go too wide. And just because it's the last lap, just because it's a big race, it doesn't change the way the rules should be applied. I 100% agree with that statement. I hear this all the time. Well, it was for the win. It was for the last lap. But safety standards don't change. Walls don't get softer. No, you absolutely You know what I mean? Not. Fire doesn't get cooler. And there's nothing in the rulebook that says hurt. this do does not apply on the yeah, last lap. Yeah, exactly. You know, so um, they, so they, they end up, uh, they don't hit us, but they move us off the road. And I'm pretty much sure Marcus is just looking, you know, out, out of his left side window and driving off of his fender, right, you know, off the right. Ferrari's fender, and that takes him off the road. So we end up barely even finishing second. Um, and as we're coming to take the checker, that's when we get the call that we'd won the race. And my first thought was, and the guys were so excited in our pit box. Uh, but my first thought is, yeah, I just don't like this. This isn't, it's not yeah, what it's I not wanted. How you want it. No. Yeah. And so even if we get the win, it, it's not what we want. And then uh, we start uh, doing the interview. You can watch me on the TV interview if you find that footage. You can tell I'm just not that excited. Right. And I'm, I'm happy for the team and the guys, but sure. again, just not that into it. And so we take the podium pictures. I feel a little hollow on the podium, but um, at the same time, yeah, you know, they yeah. did move us off the road. And I think. If I were in charge, that's what I would have done. So fast forward a couple hours later, and I get a call. I'm in the hotel room. I'm already three, four Jack and Diets into it. And it's Seth. Or actually, Andy texts me, like, WTF. And huh? Right. Yeah, right. Lally's yeah. a king I of doing the, the text. The weird cryptic yeah, text that you have no Lally, idea. And I can't remember who told us. And we were both like, who's going to text Spence? So Andy finds out through a, a release or something before Seth is even known to call you? Well, I guess he finds out through the grapevine. We found yeah. out yeah. through like someone behind the scenes. Uh, okay. It was like, mm -hmm. oh, did yeah. you hear what's about to happen kind of thing. And so then finally Seth calls and like, yeah, for sure, you know, we're, we're taking the win away. And, uh, we, you know, we ended up finishing second. And at that point I already know him. But uh, it was just kind of disappointing because, uh, so first off, let me give you my opinion on how that happened and, and what was the right call. The right call to me was made, and here's why. They shouldn't have penalized the Ferrari because – there were no clearly written rules in place to define who should have done what in that situation. They have a very poorly, or did, have a very poorly worded, vague rule, and they hadn't been enforcing it at all the entire weekend. So there's no reason for them to suddenly start enforcing it now. Sure. So if I'm in charge, I have very, very clearly defined rules. People say there's racing incidents. If I'm in charge, absolutely not. They're, basically, if you're too wide, you have to act like it, period. And... That rule wasn't in place. Some vaguely worried about right away or whatever. So you can't enforce a rule you don't have. They should have had it. They didn't have it. So they, therefore, they made the right call. Um, and then they kind of corrected it. Now that Bo's in charge, yeah. it's much more clearly defined. Yeah. But um, they shouldn't. They have the biggest race in the world, you know, in sports car, at least in this country. And uh, it comes down to the last issue they should have immediately said it's under review yeah don't please hold for results right yeah. they made such <coughs> a quick decision that it, it was almost like they wanted to, to send a message or something i don't know it was just weird yeah. that they would yeah. let something that was so important happen so quickly and then 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 you can sort it out and then the, the right guys can go up on the podium I, mean, I feel bad for uh you know jeff siegel has been trying for a long time yeah. to win daytona he finally gets his his chance to win and he doesn't get to go up on the podium and do the picture and everything. Right. And right. kind of. And then at the same time, w here we are. 
And even though I shouldn't, I almost feel guilty for, I can't even look at pictures of me on the podium now because I feel like we're trying to take credit for something we didn't do. Yeah. yeah. Even I though we were doing what we were told, I still kind of feel a little guilt, I as dumb as that sounds. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I don't think it was fair to us. Um, they did let us keep the watches. Uh, I gave mine to my brother. It's not a watch I can really wear, but, you know. Sure. Uh, I That's not true for Tim Bathis. <laughs> he very happily has his engraved and open. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. You know, it's just I felt bad for Tim. I felt bad for all our guys. Yeah. It just it didn't seem like it was handled very well. And sure. that was kind of the start of some pretty rough decision-making from IMSA. Yeah. yeah. But I have to say, after 2015, yep. a complete turnaround. Yep. The series is doing really great now, uh, top to bottom, inside and out, what the fans can see and what they can't. Uh, much, much more professional and doing sure. things right. So, Spencer celebrated his 40th birthday, and and you know I'd argue 2015 was a really, really good year, winning his Porsche driver, the whole thing. So, you know, 25 years ago, you didn't want to ever see Spencer get in a race car. He's clearly can make a living at it, and, and has a pretty good home life, and, and is, you know, seems to be in for the long haul. What um, if you could look back at 25 years ago to now? Uh, do you think you made the right call trying to keep him out? I don't have any idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Could have it'll been it'll depend on how it all ends up. If it's uh, you know a successful long career that takes him into his retirement ages and he's in racing to some extent, maybe not as a driver. Uh, yeah, I mean it would be a great uh, thing that he got into racing. You know, he might have uh, might have been a stockbroker or you know president of uh, International Monetary Fund or. You know, maybe uh, he got Bernanke's job instead of uh, Janet. Oh, anyway, uh, could have <laughs> been a little different. It could be living could in your basement, yeah. too. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yep, could be homeless. Mm. True. So, Spence, you, uh, you have two kids now. Yes. Did you always know you were going to have kids, or is that always, something that you weren't sure about? I always assumed someday I would. Yeah. Uh, and I always, when Lindsay and I got married, you know, we, we assumed we would, but I always assumed that would be later. Right. You know, yeah. and as later came and went, it would still always be later. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it definitely changes things a lot as a parent. It doesn't change. Actually, I, people ask or thought, you know, when I got married, I'd slow down or when I became a That's father, I'd slow down. Yeah, that was going to be the next question, considering you just had what I think to be your best year of your career. And it's when you have two kids. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't change at all. I'm still completely focused on the race car. And really, if I... I'm very outspoken about racing safety, yep. and but when I when it comes time to race, I understand that I'm taking a risk, and you know some of the things I'd like to see changed haven't been, and I get in the car and I go and I, I do my job and I focus on that. I will tell you though, um, 2014 at Le Mans last year in the Ferrari, we started getting a really really soft brake pedal, and it was a situation where the car wasn't safe to drive, but we needed to keep going till our next stop. And that was probably the only time I can say I've changed my opinion because of kids. I, younger me might have said, who cares? Let's just crash this thing if it's going to crash. Sure. And, th and I, I was thinking, like, I've got two kids I want to be around for. This is not an acceptable risk. Yeah. And so, um, but that was with a broken car. You know, it was trying to do something that shouldn't have been done. Right. If so it was running normal, you wouldn't even have thought about it. Absolutely not. Yeah. And I would argue at your age, you're supposed to be sort of at the other end of your career, right? You know, you're 40 years old, and, and for some guys, you know, there's young guys coming up all the time. But yet, I would argue the last two or three years, you've been hotter than you've ever been yeah, as far as namesake and all that. I think Kelly is so hot right now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think the last couple of years have been great, you know. And, uh, you know, uh, 2014 wasn't – we didn't win a race. Right. It was the first year in a long time. But I still – it was fairly competitive in the Audi, yeah. especially compared to the other Audis. And 
I think that you look at guys like Scott Pruitt, look at guys like Christian Fittipaldi and, and Barboza and Oz Negri. Guys are at the top of their game right now that have more than a decade on me. Uh, it's you know gives me hope for the future. And, yeah. and Derek Bell, I think he went to age 61 or something. Sure. Yeah. Probably somewhere sure. up there. Yeah, sounds yeah. right. Yeah. <clears throat> I think he did, his last year at Lamar was like in 2000-something. Yeah, first oh, hell of a We'll cut that in Still a super driver at that Yeah, age. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you look at uh, Pruitt, was he 50? He's like 78 or 79. <laughs> 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 um, and he's you know still getting it done against Joey Hand, who's you know mid-late 30s. 35, and, yeah. and arguably one of the best guys going. Yeah. How old's Billy now, Auburn? Auburn, he's got to be 50. Physically? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> How old does he look? Because <laughs> the tips bring you down. <laughs> the frosted tips, I think, bring you down a couple of years. Um, but, yeah, if you look at Pruitt, he's 56, I think, or something. And, uh, yeah, and as good as, done. As good yeah. as anybody and uh, has been doing it for a long time, so he's not burnt out either, you know, as yeah. far as we know. Yeah. I still but. really enjoy what I'm doing, and I, I don't see that changing anytime right. soon. And as I've gotten older, I think I've gotten actually more serious about fitness I've gotten uh, more serious about some other things outside the car that make me a better driver than I was back when I might have been younger and sharper. I don't even argue yeah. that, but um, I think now it's it's coming together very well, and I want to. I'd like to try to stay in this form as long as I can and keep keep working with good teams and keep getting in situations where we can win and see kind of how long that takes. But I just like I enjoy it so much that uh, I, I don't want it to end anytime soon. Do you remember? Uh, who said, I think it was 2012, they said, I will never race ST again. Yeah, that was me. That was you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just won four races yeah. in the Continental Tire Series in the ST class this year. Probably would have been six if, you know, some mechanical things went your way. Yeah. Uh, that would have been the most wins by anybody in ST, maybe even Continental yeah, I mean, we, uh, GS, you know, either class in a season. Uh, talk about your year. In that series, obviously, you had a bad experience, but I think it was because the car you were in a couple of years ago just wasn't as good as as you deserved, you know, as a driver. And that's why you didn't like it at Mid-Ohio. Because I remember you came up to me and you're like, I'm never doing this again. That was just, <laughs> just, just terrible. I think my concern in ST was that when your speeds are reduced, uh, the bravado factor goes away. Mm-hmm. And at Mid-Ohio, they're really, you know, the, it's not really a... It's not scary. Not scary at yeah. all. And so you find yourself competing against guys that you, you know, don't quite have the experience or the, the, the talent, and they're beating you. Yeah. you know? And I, I thought, man, this is going to kill my career. <laughs> but what I found after doing a season of it is that uh, you know, we do go to some places where you really have to hustle that thing, and there is a way to, as a driver to kind of to show off a little bit uh, in the right situation. And every race is so tough. I mean, you've been doing SD for a while now. You know, it's just... It's such a fight all the time. Yeah, it just never ends. Never ends. Yeah, you're and, you know, battling for 13th, and exactly. you're like, I don't even know who the guy is in front of me. Yeah. But this is, you know, as hard as it's ever been. Yeah, so it's, it turned out to be a pretty good career move because, <laughs> cause, you know, it's, it, it's uh, gotten me some wins, and uh, it, it's helped keep my race craft up. You know, I think about actual wheel-to-wheel racing where you have to make decisions about car placement and how to really challenge and battle, and that's all coming from the ST this season. Right. You know, in GTD, I feel like we pass each other, you know, once or twice a race and just kind of Yeah, and there's only along. 10 cars or something. Yeah. In ST, you might have to go through a pack of 25 guys, you exactly. know, depending on how your, your opening driver stint goes or if you have a mechanical or something, a bad pit stop. Yep. You know, you could have a horrible pit stop in GTD and you're starting 11th mm-hmm. on the restart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know. Um, have a bad one in ST, you're starting 29th. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. 
So. Cool. Okay, so no poor story, huh? No, you can you can tell if you yes. want. Can I? Yeah. Can I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, good. Yeah, yeah. Just a little backstory. But now these two showed up this morning. <laughs> yeah, we were we were kind of doing a little debrief we on here's how it's gonna go. And, and, Porsche, and, and first and, thing Tom P said was, "Can I tell the poor story?" And then he kind of gave us a little quick hint of it, and I have no idea what he's talking about. Yeah, and then about, Spencer so sat down and was like, "I guess we can't talk about yeah, it." Yeah. So yeah. any time you get to make fun of your buddies or something for long periods of time yeah. and record it forever it, it yeah, makes for so. good well but you know radio. i was noticing that the uh the podcast is getting running a little longer we can edit we can edit maybe we should just we can just put the highlights in that's okay, weird so okay. we'll get it we'll get it out there yeah, oh, this, this is a highlight this this we is a wanna, pre-podcast this isn't actually it yeah. we want to air it out start. yes i was a college cheerleader well i wasn't going to bring that up i can't make fun of that i don't think you know a lot of people know that so we'll say that if we're going to won a national championship that's college cheerleader that's when we when we bring you back for season three continental uh we'll get into the cheerleading yeah and you won a national championship guys what else was that like what you had to tell the guys at the bar like tom he never told them anything about his cheerleading career yeah Tom P's at the bars, but he's like, how's Ben doing? He won a national championship. Yeah. Leave him oh, alone. Really football? Is it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's on the field. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, okay, go ahead. No, tell, here tell the story. Here's, yes. a, here's a poor story. I bought uh, the last red and black slant nose Turbo Carrera made that came into the United States. Okay. <clears throat> and um, tucked it in the garage, never drove it. Figured I'd keep it for about 100 years, you know, and it would be a really – Wonderful relic for somebody in my family. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I think I was down at uh, Hilton Head or someplace like that, and I got a call from Spencer's mother. Spencer's mother and I weren't together at the time. And uh, she said, uh, I, I just want you to know that Spencer's okay. Always. Uh, oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. What happened? Yeah. He said, well, he, he, he wrecked your car. And I said, oh, my God, is the Isuzu hurt badly? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, uh, Tom, it wasn't the Isuzu. And at the time, you know, I, I only had two cars. Uh, <laughs> so now, uh, had there been like a, a Ferris Bueller style edict on this is the car you cannot touch, you can't. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Beyond Ferris Bueller. Yep. <laughs> okay. It was wow. a death thing. You know, you could die <laughs> okay. touching wow. it, let alone what he did with it. So anyway, here's, here's the story. He, uh, he uh, went up this hill called Furnace Road very fast. It's Cold already breaks. called Furnace how, Road. How so old yeah. are you? 16. Okay. Yeah, Good. makes sense. So experience. Experience. For at least yeah. a month. Yeah. A lot of experience. Yeah. But yet yeah. you know everything. Yeah. And he had a yeah. uh, cute girl in the car with him and a, another guy. Had a, well, well, all right. Okay. <laughs> so he goes up Furnace Road Hill, <clears throat> and uh, I went to, to view the uh, scene of the crime, and there's 200 feet of skin marks going towards this tree. And then uh, I know where the car ends up, and it was another 100 feet or so past the tree. So he hits the tree and goes another 100 feet. 300 feet of activity there. So uh, I went to Spence, and I said, Spence, um, how fast were you going? And he said, I, I think I was just going about 60. The brakes didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, 200 feet of skid marks. <laughs> so I said, Spencer, get in the car. We got in the only remaining car, the which Isuzu, was the yeah. Isuzu Trooper 2. <laughs> yeah. Big old square thing. We went to the same spot, and I went 60 miles per hour. And where the skid marks started, I hit the brakes, and I stopped the car halfway to the tree. Nice. And I looked over at Spence, and I said, okay, Spence, how fast were you really going? He said, I don't know, maybe 65. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know if you guys follow 9-11 resale value yeah. from that era, Familiar. but that is, don't tell him, but they're through the roof right yeah. now. Of course. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, he's like, I know. I know. Yeah. Got it right I here, know. actually. I cry every, every day about it. 
who were who were the two in the car with you? Oh, uh, just a uh, buddy and just two friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yep. Nice. By the way, that car uh, never saw the light of day again. It was beyond totaled. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we were very fortunate. Uh, yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, very yeah. fortunate. We hit uh, hit the tree with a kind of the right side and bounced off as opposed to straight on. And yeah, we were very lucky. Pretty upset. Couple little promotional things we need to do. One, uh, we do a pass it along question segment. I think I told you we were going to do this. So yep. basically, every set of guests we have ask a question of the next guest, which in your case is some guy you've never heard of, Andy Lally. Uh, so I think Tom is probably the better one to have, unless oh, you yeah, have if, an idea. Yeah, no, absolutely. Definitely. Tom, if, if, you if I were to ask a question, I'd be asking about why he drives a big truck or why isn't his apartment furnished, even though he's been in there he's for over there a for like year. Months, yeah. Or, you know, what's with the baggy jeans and. 2015, yeah. yeah. <laughs> At 40, I mean, there's, so but, yeah, don't but, ask me. But Tom, <laughs> <laughs> if you could ask one question of Andy Lally, what would it be? Well, I'd, I'd ask Andy, what could possibly be more important than my 70th birthday party? Which Ooh. he got an invitation to and has declined, and I'm hoping he listens to this and has a change of heart. Well, he'll hear this on November 18th, so it might be a little late. <laughs> so, actually, it's Andy. It's not about him. He's never going to hear it. So. That's true. <laughs> That's true. But, uh, he'll probably retweet it, though, for us. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But he won't listen. Well, thanks for coming out. I mean, Tom, hope you enjoy your 70th. Yeah. 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 Great, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll be fun. Yeah. I mean, I think we went to the Claremont Lounge like six months ago. Together. Oh, it was over a year ago. Was that a year ago? It was over a okay, year ago. Okay, so, mm-hmm. you know, 69 years old, hanging out at the Claremont Lounge, yeah. doing okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'll take that. Absolutely. That was uh, really fun. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, thanks to our sponsors, Continental yeah, Tire. Yeah, thanks for Continental. They got the, uh, Continental's got the check. I'm finished. And that was Spencer and Tom Pompelli. Always good to catch up with them. Hope uh, Tom had a good birthday. It's, uh, that was about five or six weeks ago when we recorded that, so uh, hopefully he's all recovered by this point. And always good to hang out with Spencer, who kind of joins me in the sort of uh, old man category in the paddock. So anyway, moving on to our uh, theme of, of promoting different bands and groups out there that we like. Uh, next up is one that we thought would be a good fit for uh, Spencer, of course, now with two babies in the house. Wanted to play a very talented artist by the name of Priscilla On. That's A-H-N. You can also find her on iTunes. Uh, a couple different albums out there on iTunes, but uh, the one we wanted to play in honor of Spencer was a song called Lullaby. Hope you enjoy. Here's a This old library has 30 books and one dictionary, but that's okay, no one reads anyway, they all watch TV. So here's your Never 
Thank、you